1: so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. It's mentally yours from Alan and I focus on your mental health. You surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Vet, and today I'm chatting to Helen Naylor. She's the author of My Mother, Munchausen's and Me. We're going to be discussing what it's like growing up with a parent who pretended to be sick for over 30 years.
2: I grew up in what I thought was a really normal family. It was me and my uh, mum and dad. And um, when I was about seven, um, my dad was diagnosed with quite serious health problems. So he um, had uh, heart and lung problems. Um, And at the same time, my mum was diagnosed with uh, ME or chronic fatigue syndrome. And um, although I knew my dad was more seriously ill, it was mum's... disabilities, I suppose, that were dominating our lives. Um, So we didn't go out, we didn't, um, mum said she couldn't even walk me to the local shop on the corner. Um, She said she'd spent 18 hours in bed a day. Yeah, my life was really curtailed, I suppose. Um, So every afternoon from the age of seven, I was just left basically to get on with it and entertain myself. And my mum would go to bed, my dad would go down the pub. And there was sort of no concern for my safety or what I would do or anything. And so every holiday, every weekend, I was just left alone for hours um, to do whatever. Um, and so it was a really lonely childhood. But I believed that my parents were doing the best for me under the circumstances. You know, they were both disabled. And yeah, I thought they were doing the best they could.
1: It does sound lonely. Um, but on top of that, being sort of left alone like that, um, were you ever sort of, put in danger of being kind of a, a kid on your own? Yeah, so not
2: so much at home, I suppose. Um, you know, there was a lot of um, you know, I had to be quiet because I couldn't disturb mum. Um so I, you know, we'd watch the TV with the the sound turned off and I knew I had to creep around the house and so on. So it was kind of restricted, but I guess, not particularly dangerous. But then there were moments when, um, you know, the same thing would happen when we went on holiday. So I remember going um, to Jersey on holiday when I was about 10. And my dad went to the bar, my mum went to bed for the afternoon, and I was just left to wander this hotel um, on my own. And it was quite a large hotel, it wasn't sort of a and b And I remember at one point, staring at the door Um, at the front of the hotel and thinking shall I go for a walk because I'm really bored and should I just shall I just go out and go on my own Um, and it was sunny and I could see the beach and it just looked lovely Um, and then thinking no I I can't Um, and I've since found out that actually my mum and dad sent me off with another family on that holiday that they didn't know but they just (laughs) sent me off with this other family and so there was lots of moments
1: of risk I suppose. Do you feel like you lost your childhood due to what was going on um and do you feel like you were having to act as a carer even or, or certainly as an adult before your time um or were there still the occasional moments of um of joy and maybe some family fun or is it was it all pretty bleak? There was
2: a lot of responsibility placed on me um we had a cleaner we had a gardener um my dad liked to cook and he couldn't share that um and so Uh, although I didn't have to physically do a lot there was a lot of emotional responsibility placed on me um you know I knew from quite a young age that um I had to I was responsible for my parents and my parents happiness and I knew that my feelings needed to be repressed my needs needed to be repressed to look after them Um, and there was a moment in particular when um I was uh, 10 again um that I overheard my mum telling a friend that my dad could drop dead at any moment. And at that point, I really believed that mum needed a a carer, basically, that my dad was sort of caring for her. And so I really believed that my whole life had to be on hold for when my dad dropped dead. Um, And I didn't know if I'd be able to finish school. I didn't know if I'd be able to go to university. Um, I really believed that my life would be, you know caring for my mum um and there were moments of happy times um there was one time we went to America which was absolutely amazing so when I was 16 we had this sort of once in a lifetime holiday and um yeah we went to America and it was incredible because for the first and basically only time in my in my life I remember my mum being well And she didn't rest. She didn't complain of pain. She um, walked for miles and miles. And we had this two week holiday where we basically didn't stop. We did all these really fun activities. And um, and mum told me that it was the heat had made her better. Um, And I really believed her. And so I was really shocked when we came back to the UK and Mum went back to sleeping a lot, being in bed a lot, you know, using a stick to walk and everything. And I just couldn't understand why we didn't up sticks and move to America, because I thought America had made her better.
1: I suppose that brings me on to my next sort of question, really, in terms of were there any ever any red flags or did you ever have any kind of inklings or suspicions? When you were growing up um, about your mother's illnesses or rather the fact that they were they were made up
2: yeah it's it's difficult i think because she was my mum she was my normality um so although there were moments when i saw things that didn't quite make sense i i kind of quickly dismissed them basically so there was um, one time I remember her telling somebody that she slept for 18 hours a day and I was thinking to myself does she sleep for 18 hours a day and and trying to work that out and no matter how I skewed the figures she didn't sleep for 18 hours a day and I knew that also she didn't sleep when she went to, to bed she'd read a magazine or watch tv or listen to the radio um, and so I was you know obviously that was a moment that was a really big flag I red flag like you said I suppose but I very quickly dismissed it. I just thought, oh, she's exaggerating, but only a little bit. Um, And there were a few moments like that. uh, But I didn't have any other adults really inputting into my point of view. At that point in time, mum had sort of isolated me and my dad from other family members and friends were sort of held at a distance. And so there was no one else to sort of say yes that is weird or I've noticed that too that might make me think that something else was going on Mm. so I just believed her and dismissed all my all my suspicions
1: Mm. well I think as a child as well you just kind of accept what's going on around as as normal or yeah you would why would you question it but it's um I suppose that takes me on to the the next thing. And so how did um, the illnesses that she was saying she had progress? So she said ME to start with. Was it right? She also said she had Parkinson's at one point.
2: Yeah, so she um, had ME for something like 20 years. Um, And when I was 25, uh, my dad died. He passed away from his illnesses. Um, And not long after that, um, mum went... um, the doctors and basically pushed for, um, a referral and, uh, got diagnosed with mild Parkinsonism. Um, and I was pregnant at the time. Um, and yeah. And so, so mum was told that she'd had mild Parkinsonism and that, um, she would have 10 years of, Uh, a normal life, basically. If she was working, then she'd have 10 years more of a normal working life. And then at that point, she might need, you know, medication and and more help. It might start interfering with her life, basically. Um, But very quickly, she got a lot worse. Uh, She was constantly on the phone to the Parkinson's nurse, um, constantly getting new medication, more medication, patches, more and more and more drugs basically and nothing seemed to make her better um but really that was the moment when I started thinking something was going on um because I noticed that she was she was obsessed with it um and she had been obsessed with the ME as well but it it was different this time because because I had a baby and You know, it was my first child and her first grandchild, and I really thought that she'd be interested and excited, and she wasn't interested at all, and but was absolutely obsessed with the Parkinson's. Um, So an example of this is is she wouldn't tell people that I was pregnant, wouldn't tell her friends and family, but she did ring them all up to tell them that she had Parkinson's. And that just seemed really odd to me. Um, And then I noticed that her behaviour with the Parkinson's was really exaggerated, but also just so fake I mean it was it was just so fake she'd say oh I'm feeling really really ill she'd be shaking and everything she'd literally put a pill in her mouth and then say I'm better now what should we do now and I knew that that's not really how medication works (laughs) for anything um and so that's the point when I got in contact with some of her friends and I was I was really nervous talking to them I felt like I was um you know going behind my mum's back and um yeah being a really horrible daughter basically and but i just said to them have you noticed that things seem a little bit exaggerated and all of her friends were thinking exactly the same thing and that's the moment when i was like mm, something's going on here something bigger is going on here
1: so did you or any of your friends or maybe any professionals ever confront her about what was going on
2: yeah so um I was really cautious about um, talking to her about it. Me and her friends would continually remind her of her initial diagnosis, um, but she wasn't very impressed by that. She wanted to be more ill. Um, And after about a year after the diagnosis, um, her Parkinson's nurse confronted her and um, said that they realised she'd been Googling symptoms and putting them on because with Parkinson's, unlike ME... There are specific symptoms and specific tests whereas with ME, it's quite a woolly illness um you know with with lots of different symptoms and no specific tests um and yeah they they basically said to mum that they knew she'd been playing uh, the nurses off each other to get uh, more drugs and making up symptoms and you know this nice middle class woman who he dressed much older than her years who went to church every Sunday suddenly started screaming and shouting at them swearing at them and demanding that they give her the medication that she wanted um yeah so (laughs) it was a bit of a shock to everyone I think really that she acted like that that she was so um aggressive I guess
1: Mm. and what happened after that did she um Go back to sort of saying that she had ME or um, what happened later?
2: No, so I, I thought after that that things would calm down, that she'd be more realistic about what was going on. I thought she I thought she'd just been exaggerating essentially. Um but it didn't. She just started putting on other problems. So she started um faking fools and she actually admitted at one point that she was faking them. Um and so people knew that you couldn't arranged to go and see her because she would put on one of these falls to get attention, basically to be taken to hospital or, you know, one of these sort of things. And um, she was having up to 100 falls a month. And at the time she was living in... um, uh, a residential complex, you know, sort of an uh, a retirement complex. So it was your own flat that you had wardens if people needed them. And um, she had a red one of those red cords in her in her flat that she could pull in emergencies. And she used to just stand by the cord and pull it just to get people to come round to give her attention. Um, and it wasn't like she was lonely in that she had lots of friends. She had lots of opportunities to socialize. It was just for this attention, um this sort of medical attention that she was doing it.
1: Mm. And when did you find out kind of the whole truth about the extent to which your um, your mother had been lying?
2: Um, so she was taken to hospital after one of these falls and she basically refused to get out of bed, um, and so the the doctors had no choice really but to put her in what they referred to as respite care in a care home. And she very quickly got a lot worse. Um, she was incontinent, and she'd um, started she uh, bound her hands up so that they were into fists, and um, and then also started having other contractures, um, and was losing weight massively um, and when the doctor saw her they they immediately referred her to the um, consultants um, in Birmingham and she went and had um, three months in a hospital in Birmingham having tests on on literally everything they were looking for all types of Parkinson's um they were looking at you know brain tumor, you know looking at her brain to see if there was a brain tumour they were looking at her stomach to see if there was a reason she wasn't um, taking in nutrients, they, they checked everything. And their conclusion was basically that there was nothing physically wrong with her. And um, she had seen a psychiatrist at one point, And um, he had said that he believed that mum's mental and physical um, illnesses were intertwined, but he saw no point trying to unravel them was his conclusion. Um, and so basically, i had been told that she, there was nothing physically or mentally wrong with her, but that she would die. In the next few months, and um, she did actually pass away a few months later—a um, sort of self-induced death, essentially.
1: And afterwards, you also found her diaries, didn't you? Which um, presumably gave her kind of you more insights into what her life had been like.
2: Yeah, so I started writing my experience um, down pretty much straight after her death. I wanted to record what had happened. Uh, because I didn't want to forget the details, basically. Um, and after about two years, um, I uh, decided I probably needed to read her diaries. So she'd written um, 55 years of daily diaries and kept all of those. And I'd um, I'd got them after her death, obviously, and put them away in my loft. And so um, I started reading them. And basically everything I read was a complete shock to me. I thought I knew who my mum was and what her life story was. But it turned out everything I thought I knew about her was a lie. Um, So I found out that she'd been exaggerating at the very least, um, if not putting on um, illnesses all her life. Um, But then specifically the ME and the Parkinson's disease, um, that she'd sort of chosen these illnesses Um, and tried to reenact them basically um and as well as that I found out she was a very cold personality there wasn't any sort of she doesn't talk about love at all even towards my dad she doesn't she didn't care for him when he was ill um and uh yeah and I also found out that actually she'd physically abused me as a child um which was a complete shock
1: oh gosh and what had happened there
2: So when I was a small child, she'd um, she'd left me when I was a week old to go shopping. She'd uh, when I was six months old, she and my dad had left me in a hotel room to go out for the evening um, and had left me for sort of four or five hours to go to go for a walk along the beach and things. Um, When I was eight months old, she'd fed me Chinese food, washed down with whiskey. She drugged me. Um, And then there were like physical injuries as well. There was there was one uh, where she'd broken my arm Um, and all these sort of things I just wasn't expecting and and just very threatening um, entries sort of like um, shut Helen up or um, yeah, it was just just very um, dark, very, yeah, horrible. Not the way I would talk about my children, for
1: instance. Mm -hmm and from reading the diaries did you get any kind of um understanding as to why um she'd been lying about these illnesses um that she yeah Do you, did you feel like she actually believed that she had them or was it clear to her that she didn't no yeah
2: yeah i mean I, i'd kind of realized that this was this was munchausen's and so i'd done a bit of research into it anyway um mm-hmm. and the research i'd done said that um You know, people with Munchausen's are sort of the opposite of hypochondriacs. So they're not fearful of illness. They actually want to be ill and that they know that they're lying. Um, And I could see that in mum's diaries. There were some entries where she wrote she decided to be ill. She decided to be, sorry, decided to faint, decided to get better. Um, And sort of as well as that, she'd recorded... um, in quite a lot of detail, um, her ME in inverted commas. And um, so for example, she'd uh, highlighted every day as, um a good day, a bad day, or, or whatever, and classified what that meant to her. And yet at the same time, she was going apple picking, she was going for day trips, she was, um, you know, having lunch with friends, going shopping with friends, none of it made sense, you know, with ME, it's supposed to be extreme tiredness and pain as well. And, and people can be, completely bedbound but my mum didn't have anything she seemed to be leading this sort of normal life basically and then just saying to people oh yeah I sleep for 18 hours a day Um, and I just didn't realize any of that you know a lot of that was happening when I was at school and so when she said she was in bed actually she wasn't she was off having a pretty
1: normal life and do you feel feel like maybe she was doing it I don't know was it for attention or to get hold of the drugs that she wanted because presumably she got hold of quite a lot of strong medication by the sound of it and was actually taking it
2: yeah she took quite a lot of medication um all sorts of different things really um and I think she just loved the attention really I think that was the main the main draw of it um, and I kind of, as I looked into it, I saw um, that Munchausen's is quite often a, a symptom of a personality disorder. Um, and I think my mum probably had narcissistic personality disorder. Um, so it's all about getting attention and, and being a victim is this sort of, you get a lot of sympathy for, for being, um, you know, an ill person. It gives you a, an identity that perhaps mum felt she, she didn't otherwise have um hmm. yeah it, it's I, I think it's really, really hard to understand <laughs> sorry
1: oh yeah well it, it is but I was just going to say that maybe sort of might sort of explain why when you were pregnant and, and had your baby she was maybe felt like she wasn't getting the usual attention so yeah she sort of stepped up the park I think but there was a lot of um, it's very sad isn't it because you think she, you know the, the joy that usually comes with being a grandmother oh it was devastating
2: um, yeah I really wanted her to be a great grandma and be really involved but she just wasn't interested whatsoever um and when I look back now of course like all her illnesses and relapses and so forth have very coincidental timing so obviously she got me when my dad became quite seriously ill um you know she had a relapse when I went to university um she was diagnosed with Parkinson's when Um, I was pregnant with my first child it was it was all very coincidental timing now I look back on it and um, I think especially with you know my own children she felt threatened basically that the attention was going to be off her and um, a lot of dramatic moments were when um, you know at Christmas or at my my children's um, dedications and and she'd have to throw a sort of dramatic moment um yeah and it was all just sort of very coincidental timing we always knew she'd do something
1: mm. well now you're a mother yourself do you have how do you feel about your mother's actions um has it sort of given you a, a different angle on it or do you have any sympathy for the way yeah, she totally. behaved or, um what are your thoughts
2: yeah definitely I think I I did know some of um the stories that mum would tell um so, for example, the the time she broke my arm, I, I knew about that story. She she told me that I'd um, been leaning back to uh, close the car door, and that she'd accidentally closed it before I'd moved my arm, and and it landed on my arm and, and broke it. Um, and she she um, presented this to me as a funny story, and I laughed along when I was younger. But now I have my own children, I find that anything but funny. You know, I I find that abusive, obviously. Um, And just the way I remember her talking to me, the sort of things that she'd say to me, you know, as I was growing up, um, she told me that I was fat and ugly and stupid, that I was unreliable um, and lazy, and all these sort of things that I would never dream of saying to my children. You know, I look at my daughter and and think, gosh, at this age, my mum was telling me that I had chubby fingers and that I wasn't tall enough and that I weighed too much. And, you know, why would you say that to a small child or a young child? It's just bizarre. I think, I think it does give you a completely different perspective. Yeah, when you have your own
1: kids. And how do you think, I mean, you touched on that, there and it can't have been easy in terms of self-esteem when you've got a mother being that sort of unkind and, well, cruel. But how do you feel your childhood affected your, your own mental health?
2: Um, yeah, so I, I really struggled and have struggled with my mental health. I grew up really hating myself. Um, when I was 13, I started self-harming. When I was 15, I, um, had a suicide attempt and I, I really struggled to like myself or to really know myself. I, I don't feel like I've really got to know myself, um, until the last few years, actually. Um, that my mum had um, a way of telling me what I was like, um, what I liked to eat, what I liked to do, what I was good at. And what I've found is that actually she was just projecting or putting things onto me that that weren't mine. Um, and so the last few years of my life have been a real sort of experiment, if you like, into finding out who I really am, who's the authentic Helen Um and in some ways, that's been really exciting, a real adventure. Um, you know, I've gone through things like she she told me I loved strawberries and it's sort of like, do I love strawberries? Let's, let's eat them and actually think about it. And I guess things that would seem really obvious to other people, um, you know, in a way that you'd have a knee-jerk reaction to, do I like something or do I not? For me, it's a lot harder than that. I have to kind of dig through lots of layers of things I've been told, things that have been put on to me. Um yeah but in a, like I said in a way it's really exciting to find out who I really am and what am I really good at and um it's it's freeing um to find out I'm not the thing she told me I was um but I've had um a lot of therapy I've had um specifically EMDR in the last couple of years and that's been incredible I just feel like I've almost been set free um from the bondage I guess I was under, all these sort of negative voices, um, you know, and I don't mean literal voices in my head, but we all have that sort of script, I suppose. Um, and, yeah, all that criti- critical that critical voice in my head um, has gone, and that's been amazing.
1: Mm, that's fantastic. But, I mean, you broke away, you went off to uni. Um, you obviously have your own family now, and, and now you've sort of written a book but I suppose I'd finally, I'd sort of like to ask you, it's a bit of an unusual question, but um, if, if anyone else sort of feels like there's someone in their life um, who might have Munchausen's, um, what should they do about it? What would you advise them to do, whether it's um, in their family or friends or anyone really?
2: Yeah, it's really difficult, isn't it? Um, I think it's it's really hard. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd have amazing advice because I felt so um, bound to my mum. I I found it really hard to confront her or to walk away. The last two years of my mum's life, we weren't in contact, which was partly her choice, partly my choice. Um, and that was really hard because I, I did love my mum. I did want the best for her. And so it would I guess it would be very easy to say, oh, well, if you think, you're, you know, your your mum or something has has Munchausen's just walk away because you can't help them. But that's not really how life is, is it? You know, um, and I got a lot of flack for walking away as well. Um, you know, I was told I was a bad daughter um, by a lot of people and made to feel really guilty about it. Um, and so I guess what I would say is, is find support. You know, there's a lot of um, support that you can find, especially on the internet, Facebook forums. Um, There's also various charities um, that, that can help Um, and try and talk to, to your parents' doctor. You know, it, it's a really hard, Um, almost wall to break through I think you know I I tried for five years to get my mum's psychiatric help and I got absolutely nowhere um but that doesn't really mean that you shouldn't talk to your um your GP or your your family's GP um about it because yeah I mean
1: someone might listen um (laughs) That's not very you know, hopeful, is it? Um, what you said <laughs> earlier, though, as well about really kind of looking after yourself and protecting yourself, and the you know the, the lengths you went in terms of getting therapy and the things that you found have helped. I think that sort of speaks volumes. Just taking care of yourself.
2: Yeah, I think ultimately for me, I, I think it was really easy for me in a way because I'd had children, I had very young children, and basically I was I was left with this choice: Am I going to look after my children? Or am I going to look after my mother? And I could see that my mum was on this really destructive route. um, And she was going to take me with her. She didn't care about me. She was going to destroy both of us. Um, And so I chose my children. Um, And in a way, that's really easy. And if you don't have children, you know, you still have to look after yourself. You still have to put yourself first because I don't think there is anything you can do. You know, it's it's if that that is their choice, um, what can you do? You have to look after yourself and have to um, protect yourself. That's what I'd say. So this is goodbye from Mentally Yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your
1: chores from Mentally, 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 mentally Yours. Mentally Yours if you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today you can give the samaritans and ring on 116 123 if you like mentally yours you can also find us on twitter we're at mentally yrs we also have a lovely facebook group which is just called mentally yours and if you really liked us you could do us a massive favor and give us a rating and review on apple podcasts it's much appreciated. Uh, helps us you know continue doing what we're doing so please do rate and review and check back in next week for more mentally yours
2: even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars